Hello, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Wisdomatics podcast, where we help you turn your passion into your life's purpose through life experiences, biographies. And today we have a very special guest who is a longtime friend of mine, thanks to the sport that a lot of us love, which is the sport of soccer or football in Spanish. And this is my friend, Harry Hainson. Harry is an investor. He works in finance and is also a business consultant. Harry is one of the most knowledgeable people I know in terms of finance, investing, and just basically being aware of the value of money and your time in your life. And I really hope that in this episode, you can gain a lot of insights, a lot of tips, and just real life experience from someone that has taken on their journey with money, with investing, with sports, with startups. And I hope this uh, conversation is of value to all of you listening um today harry thank you very much brother for being part of this uh episode of the wisdomatics podcast if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself a little introduction and just jump right into the point of this podcast is when did your passion for finance for startups and investing start well first of all thank you for having me and uh i'd like to say i haven't taken the journey in finance i am in the journey because it's it's a lifelong journey the main thing in finance is patience and uh dedication persistence and it's a lifelong journey it's building all the time definitely so a little bit about me since you asked i am currently a senior manager at harry heinsen and company which is an international logistics firm Uh, family-owned, based in Santo Domingo. And I am also a partner in Hainsen Global Finances, uh, which we are a consulting firm, also based from Santo Domingo. We focus on personal and small to medium business uh, financial uh, consulting. We help uh, set up accounts, uh, set up strategy mostly for personal investing as well as just the whole startup process for small businesses to have a a strong core a strong basic because most of us when we start a business we know about our service and we know about our product but most of us with the knowledge and the courage to launch a business don't have the background on the organization and the structure we need to grow a business. So we focus a lot of, on that uh, in the business. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My dad's grandfather started a company over a hundred years ago and it's still there. Uh, my dad started his own company 33 years ago and we're still going strong. I've had a couple of startups. Uh, some of them failed, some of them still going. and. Yeah, it's always been a given for me that probably I would own businesses uh, at some point. But I got into finance through startups. My first love was actually building things, organizing, structuring, and building building things. So I started with my first startup, and it was a a fintech startup over, I guess, 11 years ago, something like that a fintech startup so yeah it was a crowdfunding investing 
So that took me into understanding finance because some of my clients were investors. So I had to learn about the venture capital and learning about venture capital. Then you learn about stocks and bonds and all the other options of why would you invest in a company when you can invest in this, that. So that opened up a new world for me. When I went into my MBA, I just fell in love with finance. And yeah, so my goal was always to own a business and, and start uh, multiple businesses. But through time, I just fell in love with the, the financial structure of a, of a company. I think you coming from a family where starting your own business and being an entrepreneur is part of your bloodline. Um, you know, you were born into it and surely your kids are, are going to see it and the kids of your kids. And to get to where you are today and any entrepreneur and business person, they have learned a lot of things. They have gained wisdom through experiences. And usually those experiences and wisdom gained that comes from failures. What will you say in your first startups? What, were you, what was that first experience that taught you that one thing or the many things that really kept shaping you into the path you're taking today? Sure. Um, well, I don't like using the word failure. We use it a lot. Startup failed. But I don't like using it because I didn't fail in the startup. The startup failed for some reason. Uh, I didn't fail. I learned something from it and I'm using it for going forward. So my first startup was actually the crowdfunding business that I said. And it's a funny story because I started the business. I'm still in the forming process. I'm getting my website up. Uh, I'm trying to expand the knowledge of what is crowdfunding in the Dominican Republic. Remember, this is 11 years ago. So Kickstarter just started. This is a new thing to crowdsource, crowdfund online. And I'm trying to take it to investing, which wasn't even regulated anywhere. So when I had this going on, it was a side business. I had my nine to five. I go to a bank and I'm, I'm like, I want to open an account. And they're like, no, you're not welcome in the bank. You're in the blacklist. I'm like, what? Why? What happened? I, I'm like, I used to work in this bank. How am I an ex-employee and in a blacklist? And they're like, well, uh, there's a news in the newspaper or something about a company you own. So I look for the data. And yeah, and at that time, there were a lot of pyramid schemes, online pyramid schemes. So my company in the website said, you can invest online, which sounds for people who don't know, like a pyramid, just put the money, you get more money online. It wasn't prohibited, but it wasn't regulated. Uh, since we live in the Dominican Republic, it's a little different. Here, okay. what's not regulated, it's supposed to be accepted, but it's when it's not regulated here, it's just what the regulator wants it to be. So what happened was the superintendent of securities in, in, the, Dominican, in the Dominican Republic mentioned my company, QuickShares, in a press release that we were being investigated as a pyramid scheme because we said investing online on a website. He only said we're investigating, which is okay. They're 
it's his job to investigate. The newspaper published that we were being accused of being a pyramid scheme. So the banks shut everything down for us. I went to the superintendent. He took me in a couple of days later because when I wrote to them, they knew it was an emergency for me. And they gave me a, every document they had saying, no, they're not a pyramid scheme. They're, it, the only thing it didn't say is they're authorized to do this mm. because it's not regulated and they don't want to authorize something they're not regulating. But I'm not breaking the law, so everything opens back up. I write to them, I want to work with you to regulate this new industry and make it work. They never got back to me on that. No matter how much I insisted, they weren't inter interested. So at that point, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to cut my losses. I'm shutting this down because I'm not going to get in trouble because today he wants to and tomorrow he doesn't. So yeah, it's up to him. So it's not, they don't want to regulate it. They don't want to allow it, but they don't want to say it's not allowed. So I just shut it down. So my experience there was a little up and down, but you get to learn that starting a business, it's not just, I want to have a business. There's regulation, especially in finance. That's you have to finance. be certified. You have to have, um, the structure is fundamental to having a business because you never know what can go wrong. In my case, I was lucky. Whatever went wrong, went wrong before the launch. So I didn't lose that much money. I just had a prototype website, some marketing dollars, but I, I wasn't with like a two-year lease on an office space, 10 employees, employees. Uh, clients who had already given me money, and then they come and, no, you have to shut down. So it could have been worse. Definitely. Definitely. So thank no. God I wanted to open the account and the bank they told me why. <laughs> and because I worked at the, at the bank and I knew the person I was talking to, they gave me the information. Banks are not required to give you that information. So they yeah, just no. gave it to me because they know me. Yeah, and uh, it usually happens when you're venturing into a new idea, when you're going against regulations that don't exist, but just because they don't exist, that means that you can do everything until someone doesn't want you to do it. And yes. I think that taught you a lot of things, which definitely made you a better business person and taught you lessons that if you wouldn't have done it, you wouldn't have learned it because something we'll talk about later is the importance of reading and you know digesting information but experiencing it firsthand that's really what what makes you grow harry and you being uh, part of a long line family of, of family-owned businesses and having your entrepreneurial ventures i would like to touch on a very important topic that people don't really think about a lot because they just wait for things to go bad for them to think about, which is personal finances. I think that schools and colleges, and even after you graduate, I don't, I don't think we make enough, enough importance into what personal finance is. And what could you tell us, Harry, on topics that we usually discuss a lot when we're, uh, we're talking in person, like budgeting, like having goals you are 
you already have a family. You just had a child, right? You live in your own house. You run your businesses. So what would you say are your lessons and tips on things like budgeting and goals? Okay, so the first thing uh, for personal finance is patience and discipline. You can make all the budgets you want. If you don't stick to them, you're not going to advance. And this is not saying to be like you have to be a robot because I am the first person to not to stick to budget. It's like, hard. <laughs> I, I've never once in my life stuck to a budget 100%. Never. There's always something that comes and goes. But knowing how much I have for every situation gives you an idea of, yeah, I wanted this month, I wanted to save $100. But if I, if I save 99, I'm still doing good. But if I saved five, then there's a problem. Or if instead of saving 100, I just spend 100 more than I actually had. So budgeting is more, more of a ballpark. Okay. So, and then here comes the discipline part. Pay yourself first. Yeah, I got to make a parenthesis with that mm -hmm. because we see that on a lot of social media posts. It is a very typically used term, but people don't understand that because they don't understand the value and their relationship with money. So if you could tell us what that means for you, because it's always good getting a, another perspective. Sure. Um, the easiest way to put it is your salary that's not your money because you have to pay your car. You have to pay your house. You have to pay your phone bills, your electricity bills. You have to spend money. So whatever you get from salary or income, it's not yours. Your money is your savings. What are you saving or investing? Because we use a lot of the word savings, which I'm an anti-saver. But it's the most way, it's the easiest way to understand it. And I'll get to that later. But whatever is my money is what I'm keeping. Not what I get, but what I keep. So when I get my salary, the first thing that goes out of my salary is the money that's going to my investing account. And yes, if I don't know how much I got, I'm, I can do, I can budget a part I can say, okay, I'm budgeting a hundred, but I'll make sure that from the rest, I'm going to try to save 20 more and add it. But this 100 I'm getting for sure. So those 100 go straight to investing account every month. So I pay myself first and whatever's left. Okay. Now I have to pay my bills. Now I have to pay if I'm going out to dinner, if I'm meeting friends, whatever comes after comes from that money. That money. Yep. Not my investing, not what I made. Because you got to see when you go out, when you pay bills and whatever, that's cost of living. So if we look at it as a company, yeah, I work for a company to get a salary. But if I am a company, that salary is just income. And then what's my cost of living? And after my cost of living, 
comes uh, whatever I'm making. And businesses accounting says income minus cost is profit. And one of the biggest things I like to do in personal finance and business is I like to structure my profits. So income minus profit is cost. So I take from what I make, I take my profits, my profit first, I pay myself and whatever's left has to be enough for my bills. If what's left is not enough, then something has to change. So yeah, the first month, two months, three months, it's probably not gonna be enough. And yeah, you're gonna have to complete it because there's no reason paying interest if you have the money. But you know you have to fix something. Something has gotta give. If you have four subscriptions, you can cancel one or two. I mean, are you actually watching Apple TV every day? Every day or listening to that much music. You're yeah. not. No, and, and Harry, If I, you have I, a partner, share, the, share an account, share a, pass, a password. If you're a family, I mean, if you're single and you have a family, most of the services allow you to have multiple users. Up to four. So, so get a family account. If you're single, get a family account with your with your brothers and sisters. If you're married or, and have a family, get a family account for your family. There's no reason you're paying Spotify two times. Why is one of you paying Apple TV and the one and the other one pays Netflix when you're never watching separate? You're probably always watching either Apple TV or Netflix. Yeah. Just pick one. I mean, if money's not a problem, pay everything you want. But if you pay yourself and it's not enough, something has to go. Something has to go. Yeah, and I think you, you, you kind of circled it all perfectly because we started with budgeting. We started with knowing that we cannot always stick 100% to a budget because it's hard. But then the fact of what you make versus what you pay yourself versus what you have left versus what you invest. They're very different topics that when you start with your budget, you're like, okay, what do I have to spend money on monthly to keep living? But then there are things that you know, you can cut on that extra coffee. You can cut on that extra Uber, uh, Uber Eats. You can cut on that extra drink at the bar. Like there's many behavioral changes you can make to improve your your finances and i think mm -hmm. once you dominate those personal finances we can jump into <clears throat> another topic which and is also before we before we go to another topic with what you said there um i like to when i read a lot i like to take and give in different from different ideas because the pay me first is one concept but then there's another concept from and it's a famous book it's called the book is called, I will teach you to be rich. I was telling you about this before. It's, it's not how to be rich as in how to get so much money. It is how to live a rich life, which finance is a life choice. So yeah, the extra coffee, but if you're a coffee lover, pay for your 
coffee. Coffee, yeah. <laughs> Go to the best coffee shop in town and buy the coffee you like because you will enjoy it. You're working to enjoy the what you're earning. But don't start spending on craft beer because your friend likes beer. If you don't like beer, order a glass of water. Or just get one beer. If you're not into pizza, don't go to the fancy pizza place. So if you like something, for example, I like this year with last year's with COVID and uh, we have a newborn child. It's been difficult, but I normally go to soccer games, the Dominican League. I try to visit every stadium every year. It's not a lot of money, but it's, if I have to spend a, a tank of gas going to the game because it's in another city, I'm happy to do it because I just love going to the games. Now, would I uh, fill up my car and spend a full tank of gas going to see a game because somebody else likes it? Unless it's my wife or my son. <laughs> or your brother. I'm, not, gonna, I'm not, not even my brother. If he wants to pay for the gas, he can pay for the gas if he wants to go. But there's a difference in cutting costs because a lot of people say, oh, just stop drinking coffee on the street. You're not going to go broke for a $2 cup of coffee no. or a $5 cup of coffee. You're going to go broke if you buy $10, $4 cup of coffee and then you go buy a $20 pizza and then you go buy, uh, then you spend $200 on a fancy dinner. But all you wanted was a cup of coffee. See, there's a difference. So spend on what you like. Cut yes. everything else out. Yeah, because in the end, if you're investing your money into things that add value back to you, and they're worth it. As you say, we have our extravagances. We have our, our likes and tastes on things that Be they're, happy. They're, they're unique to us. And I think when you find that peace and relationship with your expenses and your money and your financial goals, and you can enjoy that cup of coffee. I was just making a point because there's little expenses that sum up in our day-to-day. -day. And if we don't have a budget, we're like, okay, where did I spend these $100? Well, you bought $25, $4 cup of coffees. And, the, and that's really when I think that financial transparency is something that everyone should look at. It may, it may suck at the beginning because I remember when I started my own budget, I was like, oh my God, am I really spending that much money golfing or eating out or traveling? But once you put it on paper, you're like, okay, I can control this. It's not something that I cannot control because nobody's putting a gun to your head to go to soccer games you know, or buy clothes or go out to eat. It's a decision that, that you make. And yeah. to, to go into, Harry, keep going with the personal finances, which I think in the ladder of finances, you first have to dominate your personal finances and then you can control your business finances. There's a topic that is very controversial, which is buying things with money you have and buying things with money you don't have, which is buying versus leasing. When we say leasing, we lease a car, a house, a phone. So what would you say are your 
your pinpointers on the difference between buying and leasing and buying for assets and buying liabilities versus leasing assets and liabilities. Well, it, it goes to something I mentioned before. It's why when I said financing, finance this, it's basically a way of life. So for me, in my personal opinion, which is not what most people think in our country, <laughs> purchasing my house as buying the house I live in is a life choice, not an investment. Why? An average apartment for a young family in the Dominican Republic, two bedroom, small apartment, will go for $200,000, $250,000, about there. Yes. If you have the money cash and you buy it, yes, you will get some uh, appreciation over the years, but the same $250,000 invested in just a regular index fund could give you a 10% a year return right. yep. on average. So one is more risky, yes, but is it worth $250,000 on your house as an investment? Probably not. Now, if you buy that apartment and rent it, depends on the market. Normally in the DR rents are pretty low compared to purchase price. But depending on the city, the market, or the or the time of the year, not the time of the year or the time you buy the apartment, if you buy in construction or whatever, you can get a 12%, 8%, percent 10% return. So if I get a 9%, let's say it's nine after, because you rent, but then there's expenses on the apartment. It's not rent, it's not for you. Exactly. If, the, if something breaks, you have to fix it. There's taxes on the property. There's uh, maintenance on the building. All of this comes up. If after all of this, I'm getting an 8% or 7% on my apartment, I'm okay with not getting 10 in the stock market. Why? Because that 8% is probably kind of fixed because I'm getting rent every month and I'm also getting the appreciation. So it all levels out. But if I have to go buy that apartment and I get money, I have to go with financing, then why are you, I mean, financing in the Dominican Republic would cost you 14%. That's just interest. Only interest, yeah. That's without the maintenance, the taxes, whatever. You're already 14% in the hole every year. So it's, it, it's not that good of an investment. Now, a lot of people say, well, it's my house and I want my roof. Okay, that's, but just make sure when you're making the purchase, first to have all the numbers correct, correct and doing your analysis and understand you're making a life choice, not an investment. For it to be an investment, it has to have a return. And yeah. if you're solely thinking of an investment, 
you have to put your money where the best return is. So life choice versus investing. So for me, I'm okay with owning. I don't at the time, but in the future, I am okay with owning as much real estate as I can, as long as it's producing something for me. So I had a client, which they were talking to me about purchasing an apartment, they were renting, whatever. And when they told me the money they had, and we did the analysis, I was like, right now you cannot afford an apartment that is the same as the one you're living in right now. So purchasing, yes, you can purchase and get a loan and pay the, to the bank the same amount you're paying in rent, but you're gonna live in a smaller apartment, not as comfortable. So why don't you, I mean, you have the money saved, you have the money to buy the apartment cash not cash but you have a lot of the money what why do you need to buy an apartment that costs 250 300,000 which is the size of the one you're living in if you have 20% of the money oh. why not buy another apartment a cheaper apartment smaller apartment which in this country at least a two bedroom rents for almost the same thing as a three bedroom. So why don't you go buy the two bedroom, the smaller two bedroom for which you don't have 20%, you have 60% of the money, rent it out. And with the rent you get from that apartment, you pay the bank and you pay some of your rent. So now what you did is you're still buying the property, but your rent came down from 1,500 to probably 1,300. So 100 more you're investing every month because you're buying an apartment with 50, 60% upfront, you, you get cash flow positive on the apartment in four to five years when you cancel the, the loan. Wow. If you buy the big one, you're going to have to pay for 10, 12, 15 years before you get cash flow positive. So the apartment is not yours until you finish paying the loan. So buy the small one, rent it out. In five years, it's your apartment with positive cash flow for you. And you can start in five years buying a second unit. And you're still living in your big apartment, paying rent. But whatever, that's cost of living. Rent exactly. is cost of living. So it depends on, that's a specific scenario for somebody who had some of the money. Of course. But we see a lot of people in this country where owning a house is the way to go that with no money down, they'll just go buy an apartment, use it for pay the loan for five years on a 25 year loan. And then they sell it because they need more space, but they still owe the entire amount to the bank because they've only paid interest for it. So you're not making money. You paid interest for five years. And when you sell the apartment, the entire amount goes straight to the bank to pay the loan. So how, 
what what's the difference in that scenario versus renting? It's a, it's the opportunity cost, and uh, when you apply it with the law of cash flow, which the law of cash flow for me is knowing what cash flow is and the importance of cash flow, you can find the the difference between buying and leasing and more on a very interesting topic which is real estate which is which is the same thing with a car i mean when you go buy a car (laughs) the car because real estate is a little tricky because a lot of people believe wholeheartedly on appreciation and they'll get their money back when they sell the property and okay i can understand that because it does happen and if you buy a good property and you know what you're looking for it's very good business. But a car, buying a car, it's a, definitely a life choice. Cars depreciate themselves. So if I have to pay up front for a car, and here I'm talking more to our US counterparts, because the DR leasing is not really a thing. No. Cars are, you buy your car. So, but if I have to pay $30,000, $40,000 for a car, and then I'm stuck with a car. Let's say I buy the car for 40. I keep the car for three years. And I give the and I sell the car. Back. Yeah. And I sold it for 30. The car, the actual cost to me is ten thousand dollars for five years, which comes out to two thousand dollars a year. Average. Okay. So the way of thinking it is my cost for the car wasn't 40 and then I sold it for 30. My cost is $10,000 for five years. But I had to put the money up front and then I had to go through the hassle of selling my car yeah. before I can get another one. If I lease, depending on your lifestyle, if you like good cars and whatever, because if you're just buying an old car because you just need to go A to B, just go purchase it. But if you like a nice car, because that's your lifestyle choice, if you lease, you can average out, okay, the cost of using this car would be $11,000, $12,000 for the same five years. It's a little bit more expensive. But there's a freedom in not putting money up front. And when I have a lease, I can just, when it, when the lease is over, I just park the car in the dealership, pick out a new one and leave. Yeah, it's a, it's a concept that definitely we still don't have it here in Dominican Republic because here you have to buy the car. And even if you don't have the money, you take a loan. But so, but yeah, yeah, so what's great. worth more to you? Is exactly. the 2000 difference worth more than your time and the hassle? Or, or, it's, or is it not? Maybe you just want to save your two thousand dollars perfect buy a car but make sure you're buying buying the car is a lot again a lifestyle choice no because you know maybe if you buy a car and you give it to someone to use it as an uber maybe there you're using it as an investment but you're not using the car you are literally or turo there's a lot of people that actually have hundreds of cars renting them out on turo yep yep and they're making a living out of it. Yep, and, and that and is some of them investment. are not even buying the car; they're leasing the car. <laughs> yeah, to work. So you're not even putting the money down. 
Yeah, yeah. Sometimes uh, it's good that we don't have leasing here because for all those Ubers, you know, they would be uh, tutoring all those cars down. But yeah, but yeah, Harry, I think that the term of buying or leasing, when it's for an investment or a lifestyle choice, is a very important and knowledgeable topic for you to share with us. And now to to keep going into the whole business finance aspect, we know there is many stories of those entrepreneurs that sold their startup for millions of dollars. The WhatsApp uh, entrepreneur created WhatsApp, got bought by Facebook for a billion dollars, if, if I'm not wrong, but just imagine having a billion dollars. In Instagram was a billion. WhatsApp was, I think was 9 billion or something like that. Oof, exactly. So let's just, you know, we're in the B. We're not in the M, we're in the B. So yeah, just imagine- a There's a couple, B up front. Exactly. Imagine, you know, your business being sold for billions of dollars, you being uh, obviously the founder, major stakeholder, uh, usually you get a big, big chunk of that money. And there's a path to get to that process. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they start their business with the idea of eventually selling it or eventually having money invested it in. But people usually think that the value of your business is only how much money it makes but you as a as a consultant i would like to personally ask you and for you to share with our listeners what are the things that actually make the value of your business grow not depending solely on the money it makes okay so it's mostly the money it makes of course but it's how it makes the money uh for example if let's say the case of whatsapp whatsapp wasn't making any money, but for Facebook, it was worth the 9 billion because of the data it gets that it can sell ads on their platform. So, but let's bring it down to our, our world. Exactly. I'd like something, <laughs> uh, Professor Scott Galloway from NYU says this a lot. When you're starting a business, you should always start a business thinking on selling but yes they are there are people that can make money that can make their business sell for billions of dollars assume you are not that person <coughs> sorry if you are i'm happy for you but most of us are not that person so assume you're not that person your business will most likely not be worth a billion dollars. So if you get a chance to sell part of your business for money that will make you financially stable, do it. Don't think about it twice because it could be worth more later. You need to be financially stable. That's the one reason you're starting your business. Getting that out of the way, Adding value to customers is the number one way to grow your business. Yep. So we throw up around this term today, branding. Branding is not just, uh, I have a hat with my logo on it. I have an Instagram account. I have followers. That's part of branding. Branding is what people think about your business. So what is the value of a business. Technically, the value is what somebody is willing to pay for your business. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't care how much you make if nobody knows who you are. It's not worth that much to me because it's just more income to my business. It's a mathematical sum. How much time I'm going to get my money back and whatever. But if you have a big name, even though you're making less money, I, as I can turn that big name into more. So it's worth more. Yes. The value of a company is, again, what somebody is willing to pay for it. So how do you add value to your company, adding value to your customer? I think you just touched on one of the principles of business. If you treat your customers right, if you know how to look for that customer, if you know how to give an optimal service to your customer through time, not just one time, but every time it is needed. Recurring should... customers. Exactly. Right now, the, the number one issue that's pushing stocks higher, the value of companies, is recurring revenue. So the subscription-based model. Subscription models, because you get money, even though it's less, you get money over and over and over again. So if you get your customers to come again and again and again and again, even though your profits are not as high, your company's worth more because in the long run, that money's going to keep coming in. And uh, Harry, you as an investor, I'm sure you would always like to invest in a business that's generating constant cash flow rather than a business that has still not found a way to make money on a constant basis because one knows what works and what doesn't and the other one is just waiting for that big investment that big uh, seed funding and doesn't understand the principle of you have customers even if your customers don't pay you that much they're your customers and they're bringing cash they're bringing resources they're bringing new doors and potentially new customers to your business and i think it's you're touching on, on a fundamental of business yeah i mean this is one of the things i learned uh when reading about warren buffett in his biography uh and i'll give you a story on that later but one of the things is the word float float is when customers pay you up front and you provide a service down the line. So insurance companies, there's a reason Warren Buffett loves insurance. Oh. People pay him and he might at some point in the future pay something back. Meanwhile, he has the cash. So yeah, credit, people have to give credit in certain businesses. I myself in logistics, we live on credit. Like nobody pays for logistics upfront. It's a credit-based business. Mm -hmm. But if I can turn my cash flow faster, my company's worth more, even though I'm selling the same thing. Because I'm turning right. that cash upfront. So cash flow is number one, not profit. Nope. Not bottom line, not EBITDA, EBITDA, not EBIT, not none of those measuring <laughs> in the income statement. I mean, you need to be positive because you're not working to lose money. 
But the number one thing in business is cash flow, cash coming in. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, yes. So yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things most of us don't realize. We're like, okay, I bought this pen for $5 and I'm going to sell it for 10. I made $5. No, you did not. I spent $2 on marketing. I spent $3 on delivery. I spent this and that, whatever. And then I had to give the guy 30 days credit to pay me back the pen. Did you really make $5? Yeah. Did you really make $5? Yeah. And, so, and, and the story with Warren is that's how I got into stocks actually through him. Uh, and I try to be him at, at the beginning. I'm like value investing. Wow. I'm going to start buying. Uh, I'm just going to start buying cheap companies because they're going to grow. And I lost my money. How much did you lose at first? First time around $500. Not much. I mean, it was, I was, a 19 year old kid saying that, okay, I'm going to invest this $500. And because I read Warren Buffett's book, I'm going to turn this into 10,000, which then I'm going to use <laughs> to buy something else, which I'm going to tell. And no, it doesn't work like that. So value investing is good, but value investing like Warren did it. It's no longer, no longer feasible because now there's computers analyzing data all the all the time so they know what's undervalued and pick it up you're never going to get in time to pick it up yourself but what can you do invest in good companies i'm sure that's one of the main lessons you learned and you have learned along the way of your process yeah. of becoming an, an investor trying to be like warren buffett and then trying to find the method that works. And uh, I would like to ask you, what methods of investing do you currently use and why would you personally recommend them? Number one is index funds. Why? I'm not 24 hours a day in front of my computer watching stocks, analyzing companies. I that do would, that. That would be day trading, right? That's day trading. I'm not doing that. So if I'm not analyzing stock real time, then how do I know my money is working well? Okay, I get an index fund. I personally like VTI, which is total stock market. If there is a company in the world that is public, VTI owns it. It's over 9,000 uh, stocks. So can you, so, can, you say, can you explain how that works? So BTI is all the public traded companies in one yeah. stock? Yeah, VTI, the stock VTI is in a fund run by Vanguard. So what they do is they have a manager and every fund has its rules. So there's funds that invest only in tech stocks, funds only in TV, only in movies and whatever. So funds have their rules. VTI, its rule is it's 
the Vanguard total index. So total whatever exists, they're gonna buy. And that makes its return the same as market return. So what would be that yearly amount or uh, that yearly yeah. percent? If you take the entirety of the stock market, it averages 11% a year. If you take the whole thing together, the average is 11% a year. If you take any 20 year period throughout history, doesn't matter which is your first year and which is your last. If you take 20 year period, you're going to average eight to 10% a year. You're more likely to have uh, a year that has 20 or more percent profit than to have a year where you lose money. So the stock market as a whole normally goes up. So if you, as a casual investor, you have your own company and you want to invest because you want your money to grow. So what do you do? You buy an index fund and keep buying it. Don't just put $100 in it. Keep buying it every month as a savings plan. Instead of just putting it in an account, buy the stock. And it'll go up and down, up and down, like the market does. But over time, you're going to have an average of 9 to 10% a year. So let's say, Henry, say we would have $1,000 every year compounded over over 20 years with an eight to ten percent you're you're saying you're going against inflation which is two to three percent per year and it should be more this year you're going against so many different factors that your money is in a place where on average it is growing at an average eight to ten percent and if you would tell me put money into that and not have to be looking behind it all the time, like a day trader, knowing that my money is going into an established institution like the stock market in real companies with real values, with real cash flow, just like we were saying, real customers, then, you know, I am actually investing into something that I can go behind and actually understand. And what were you say? Do you have only investing in SP 500 index funds? Or do you have other ways of investing that you also think are smart and you will recommend. I also have other investments. So index funds is my number one because that's what's gonna produce my uh, returns uh, on a yearly basis that's gonna be, that I can project. So I'm gonna have that return on average on a yearly basis. So my money's working for me. Now, what I also like to do is, okay, I like to invest in specific stocks of companies I like, but not just because I like the company. There's this uh, meme I saw on, on, on Instagram the other day where it says, 10 years ago, you bought Nike shoes for $100. If you would have bought $100 of Nike stock, hmm. it would have, Probably, I think the, the number was, it would triple or quadruple the amount. It was like $400 today. 
but your hundred dollar sneakers are worth nothing today. Nothing. You don't even have so, them, probably. Throw probably them don't away. even have them. Yeah. So, yeah, if you like your company, invest in it. And if you like, don't just don't only do that because stocks do fluctuate a lot, and a company can be down for years before it starts going up. So to take advantage of compounding, go with the traditional, the fund that's going to have a stable return. But I enjoy investing in good companies that I know will do good over the years. I'm never going to buy a stock that I'm not willing to hold for at least 10 years. That's, that's a good insight because that really so, gives you a plan behind yeah. your investments. And don't take this as investment advice because each person has a different situation and they need to, to analyze their own situation. But for me personally, I love stocks. I have the stocks in Coca-Cola, Disney, Apple, Apple, and believe it or not, Apple is the risky, the riskiest one of those. Because Apple, it's, it's the biggest, it's one of the biggest company in the world, but technically it's a one product business. Apple lives and dies by iPhone sales. I believe Apple is going to buy Peloton. I actually, in back in January, one of my predictions was they would purchase Peloton before December. They have it. I'm probably going to get it wrong, but I'm sure they'll buy it at some point because it's another excuse to put an Apple screen in front of your face. But as of today, Apple is spending money on getting screen time. TV, uh, uh, shows, music, whatever, podcasts. They're looking for their way in. They're looking for a way in on all those. But right now, Apple lives and dies by iPhone sales. iPhone is still 60% of Apple income. Wow. Yeah, and, and it's crazy when the new iPhone 13 came out, I think. And I heard like 10 of my friends say that they already pre-ordered it. So it's like a given, you know, they, they have what we talked about earlier. They have recurring clients. They have yes. such a big brand awareness and loyalty. But Disney, that, yeah, but Apple, people are no longer buying the next iPhone every year because no. the change is very little. It's not like Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs times when everything that came out was brand new. Yep. iPhone 13 is a little bit different from the 12. If you have 12, don't spend the money. It's $1,000 for a new phone which is exactly the same as the old one. But what happens? That now let's compare it with other companies, Coca-Cola. Do you drink Coca-Cola? Coca-Cola? There's, there's a million cups of Coke, servings of Coke a day. Sold more than a million a day. Worldwide. So, worldwide. And that's just Coke not the entire catalog of Coke or of what Coca-Cola company sells. 
So is that going away anytime soon? No, no it's not. No, it's not. So, stock can go up and down, but sales are going to be there. In fact, public backlash against the company because of the sugar and keto and whatever has actually helped. Helped. Because now <laughs> instead of buying, I mean, if you can buy two liters of Coke for a hundred pesos, that's two liters. Two liters, yeah. Half a liter sells for 50. So it's one quarter the product for half the price. So people are no longer, and the same, and as you go down yep. in size, the same thing happens. So the backlash comes and people are no longer buying the two liter Coke. They're buying the half liter or the 12 ounces, which yep. Coke actually makes more money on per unit. More volume for sure. But now people are drinking more water. Who bottles and sells water? Coca-Cola. <laughs> and it's a lot cheaper than bottling and selling the actual soda. And the margins are better. People will not stop drinking. They need to drink something. Whether it's Coke, whether it's juice, whether it's whatever brand, they have a brand of everything. People are going to drink something. So the company's not going anywhere. They dominate the beverage industry. That's what they yes. dominate because they also yeah. have uh, Powerade, right? Powerade, Sprite, and uh, one of the Dominican Republic's very own country club. Is there a we go. Product. <laughs> yeah. so, Historical I mean, red they merengue. Are, they're not going anywhere. Same with Disney. Disney has the parks. Oof. Disney is the ultimate aspirational uh, brand. And I like to quote him a lot, but I quoted him earlier, Professor Galloway. He has this point where he says, Disney is going to offer uh, a bundle for Disney Plus TV that instead of paying $7 a month for Disney Plus, you're going to probably pay $30 to $50 in that ballpark, $30 to $50 for Disney Plus, but that will include benefits in the park. It's a loyalty program. Special interest. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically a loyalty program for the parks, but you're going to pay a monthly premium for that. And I mean, which it's recurring revenue you're gonna pay every month if you live anywhere within six hours drive from a disney park or flight as well yeah but if you live six hours or less drive. and you have a family or you're a middle class family in the united states anywhere in the country with kids, you're going to have to pay that money. Yep. It's not if you want to. It's not if you can. You're going to have to pay that money. Because the value they're going to give you in the parks is going to be so good 
you're going to pay the monthly revenue, even though you only get to go to the park once a year because you have to work. But those choices are not made rationally. You want the park benefits because you because you have kids who you want to take to the park and get the benefits. You have an emo emotional attachment to the brand as a consumer. And I think as an investor, with all the companies you invest in, invest in, look how you have a background motivation, but also you know the background story of the company and you look at it in a rational way. As you yeah. say, they know how to get to that potential niche. They just apply the necessary tools and say, okay, we have the park, but we have to find a way to become closer to these people that come once a year. So how can we And do they it? are number one in the world in uh, products and in, in IP, TV, franchises. They own yeah. everything. So they have a pipeline for the next 10 years of movies, shows, and park attractions that are already on the way and planned just based on IP they already own. That's Marvel, Star Wars, Disney characters, and all that, and Pixar. And that's not including whatever they come up with next. So they have a lot of things they don't tell you or you don't have access to, but still they give you that 10 year plan or technically they give you There's the, a ten, the plan. There is a 10 year plan, which is public for shows spending 10 years of products people will buy and people want to see because Disney makes great entertainment. Great entertainment. Great. It's undeniable and it's proven that you can be three years old, 10 years old, 30 years old, 60 years old. You watch a Disney movie, it's going to have some type of effect on you. And yep. even if I'm sure you will go to Disney sooner than I will because you have kids um, now, but I'm sure when you go, you're going to be like, not just oh. with kids. I, I like to go to Disney by myself too. Me and my wife. There we go. There Disney's we go, a great, know? Disney's a great location for adult entertainment as well. As well. Yep. The See, parks I, are amazing. I, I haven't gone with nightlight is amazing. Definitely. So I'm probably going to go to Disney before I actually go with my kid. I'm probably going to go with my wife first. Harry, I think but I, I will go to, to Disney. And no, I'm sure going you back to this to how we started on the on this conversation. So index funds are investments with a long-term reliability. And if you're just going to invest in one thing, go with index funds. I mean, you said in your introduction, I'm an investor. I believe everyone should be an investor. And everyone you can be. To be an investor, you don't have to be investing in startups and risky business. You can just go and buy a couple of index fund stocks every month and keep doing it. Take advantage of compounding interest and make your money work for you in the long term. Yep. Yep. I, and, I, and I really like the way that you put it in an aspect that people can look at themselves and be like, okay, can I really start investing $50, $100 a month? 
instead of putting into a savings account, which is losing value every day with inflation and the depreciation of countries like ours that suffer very harshly the inflation of prices when you know the dollar comes up in value, they increase gas prices, you know, all the prices of the commodities that we have. Exactly. Um, so it's a question that we should all ask ourselves, like, am I really ready to start investing those $100 a month into potentially something that is giving me an 8 to 10% average return? And uh, now me, when I see, for example, my favorite glove brand or favorite, you know, shirt brand, I'm going to be like, is this, is this a company I can invest in? Because if I consume their product or their service, why not go behind it and actually know that the hundred dollars I'm putting is going into the operations of the company, which can eventually lead to the growth. So thank you. Thank exactly. you for that. And, and there's one last thing there, which I forgot to mention is invest in what you know. For example, I mentioned Disney. I know how Disney makes its money. Coca-Cola, I know how they make their money. Apple, I know how they make their money. If you're going to buy an individual stock, make sure you can understand the business. Because whatever happens in the world, you need to understand how it affects your investment. You're now an owner in that business. So you have to understand how the business works if you want to uh, pick right uh, companies to invest. Yeah, invest in what you know. I think that's uh, something you have to write it down and look at it constantly if you're looking to start your investing journey because it's always going to be a more clear path than many, many other speculations on what someone told you, what you read in the news, yes. what you saw your friend make money off. So you're like, oh, he made money. I got to go in there because I know I'm going to make money as well. But you don't know mm -hmm. his craft maybe as well as you do. So if you know something, if you have a, you know, let's say you're a, you're a good investor or you're good, you're a good doctor or you're a good soccer player, then look at the things that you use in your day-to-day -day and that you consume and look exactly. at, for example, you know, again, if you're looking at a show, if you're reading a book of, of some company, of some, someone that, for example, Elon Musk, look at how Elon Musk has the, all companies that he all started, yeah. but you can see that he's running all the companies. They are actually doing good. You know, Tesla, why wouldn't you not invest into electric cars when you know how bad fossil fuels are for earth yeah but it's one thing you have to understand how tesla makes money exactly and that's uh that's very and what I, yeah go ahead. and that's the thing tesla is not as simple they don't just make money by selling cars most of the time they lose money selling cars <laughs> yeah it's a very risky business the whole plan is to sell you the superchargers after that uh, you put one example that I like a lot. It's the doctors. For example, if you're a heart surgeon, Oof. you're in the middle of an operation and somebody presents to you a new valve that will make heart surgery faster for the next, I don't know, 50 years. And you're just testing it out and it works. Unless you're an employee of the company, you have information the rest of the market does not because you're testing it. 
you know how that company makes its money and you know there's a product that will sell. And you have facts and you have an, a knowledge that you so apply. use the information of your craft to make investment decisions. Harry, and going into, um, we briefly touched the topic of investing in things you know. There's one thing now that is a really big advance in technology, which is blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies. What are your thoughts on Bitcoin, all these coins that are coming up, all these uh, trading platforms like Binance and the, the craft of day trading? What are your, your thoughts on that? Okay. Let's start with day trading, which I know a little more of. Day trading is a full-time job. So there's no, I'm buying one stock today and selling it tomorrow and I'm making money. Day trading is not investing in a company. It's mostly investing in trends. So you're buying a stock, a ticker, because of the trend you see on the ticker. And there's a lot of people doing this. It's a full-time job. It's a nine to five, right? It's a nine to five. It can make you money. Actually nine to four because the market closes at four, but yes. (laughs) Uh, But yes, you have to be there looking at trends. You're not buying Disney in the morning because it's going to be higher at the end of the day. I mean, you're not making that decision based on Disney sales or Disney Plus or the parks. You might make that decision because today there's a trend in which the stock is going up. And my analysis says it's going to keep going up today. That is day trading. It's trends and charts, not companies. I like to, I like to stay uh, focused on companies but that's me. Crypto, I am not an expert, but there's one thing I like to make clear to everybody. Crypto, even though they're called um, coins, they are not money. There's a technology behind it. Every cryptocurrency, even though they're called currency, has a technology behind it, has... has rules behind it, It has a purpose of existing. There's a few that are just, oh, we're we're gonna be the new currency of the world. Well, can you? Is that actually possible? Some might. Like Bitcoin, there's so much people invested in Bitcoin right now that yeah, Bitcoin is not going away. But is it going to hold its value? I don't know. I'm not an expert in crypto. But it's being used more of a store value, like substituting kind of a gold or stocks. There's also uh, Ethereum with uh, smart contracts used for NFTs. Uh, Non-fungible tokens, like something you can't touch, but you have ownership of uh, smart contracts. So the main thing is understanding the technology and the rules behind the coin you're going to purchase, because that's going to determine whether it's an investment, uh, it's a good investment long-term or not. 
that's a good not point. necessary buying a, uh, a coin cheap is going to grow because it's a coin the technology behind it is what matters so you would say again invest in what you know if you're not if you're not willing to learn about the topic, do your homework yeah if you're not willing to do your homework every day from monday to friday at least and put in a good amount of hours daily then there's always going to be people that are going to outsmart you and they're outworking you already because you're not even outworking yeah, and, yourself yeah for day trading yes but for the other you don't have to do research every day i mean but you need to understand where your money's going after you if let's say you like bitcoin if you understand what bitcoin is yes and you put your money there you can keep putting money into it because you already know what it is you don't have to keep doing research you have to keep up with news of what's going on what's affecting it all the things going around in the market but you don't have to research on what it is again because you already know yes so just make sure you do your research and do your homework before you invest your money yeah and, and know how to absorb the news because there's always speculations um also like filter where you get the information from the companies because i'm sure if you only read the news but you you don't take the time to read the yearly report from the ceo or or, or try to at least scrim through the financial statements and the balance sheets of their their year to year or even quarter and there's a lot of information that you can access depending on how much you're willing to stay up with it and that goes to uh, a question of the content that we consume, which we know it's books, podcasts, newsletters, um, just any, even tweets, you know, Twitter. I like Twitter because it's that, that constant direct information, you know, very short insight that from one tweet, you can gain so much information that maybe it still hasn't gotten to the news, to the newsletter. I love Twitter. I don't use it to create content that much as I used to. I mean, for years, I didn't even use the platform, but I started using it again because of that. Instead of following 200, like on Instagram, I probably have like 600 people I follow, people, companies, and or whatever. Twitter, it's like 100. Oh, yeah. And, and, it's like very specific. It's just information. It's just news. And a couple, a couple of people that might be interesting, but most of it is just, I want to know what's going on because Instagram, it's everything's polished. Everything is branding, marketing. So yeah, it's fun, but it's mostly my friends, uh, colleagues and whatever. Twitter, it's more of a real time information coming in and out, in and out, in and out. So for information purposes, Twitter is still number one platform out there. Yes, at least catalog the social media platform. And yeah. uh, with that, Harry, right now, if say I'm someone that has very little knowledge on basic finances, personal finances, um, investing, aside of recommending yours, which I am, uh, loyal follower and i really appreciate those newsletters that you send with you know elaborated factual 
contextual text um, that really helps me as a as a as an investor, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, and even as a you know as a person per se, you know, just in, in a general view of of money. What would you say are our books, obviously, you said one, which is I would teach you to be rich. You talked about Warren Buffett, um, his book, his podcast, just him investing, because that's the main reason you try to first imitate him, because it worked. If, if you, if you want to <laughs> learn about investing overall, uh -huh. just general information, go to YouTube and uh, look for Warren Buffett. Yep, yep. And just I, I, I agree listen with to that. the guy speak. He's a genius. And I don't use the word lightly. The guy is a genius. And he has this uh, yearly interview with CNBC. He does it every year on his birthday in a steakhouse. And all the interviews are like two hours long. They're all on YouTube. And he talks about whatever is going on in the year. And he wow. does this every year on his birthday. So you learn a lot just watching those clips. And he, he's such a likable person. He speaks from experience. I did this, this happened to me and you learn a lot from him. So that's number one. Number two is um, go and get, like for me, newsletters are a great source. There's two I'm in every day because there's a morning brew, which is like the modern version of business news. And Morning Brew, under the brand, they have several. They have one that's just the regular Morning Brew. They have one, if you like, just marketing, just tech, just finance. They have different versions. But it's very condensed information. And then you can expand on the articles. But as a daily information, it's great. And I am also uh, a subscriber to the New York Times. Because in news, news is number, it's, I'd say number two source of information for investing. You need to know what goes on in the world and how it affects your company. And the reason I like the New York Times is they make their money on subscriptions, not ads. So what's, where's the difference? Their interest is in giving me good news, like, actual things that matter yep. for me to keep paying a subscription instead of just putting random big letter uh, ads. headlines just so I get my eyes on it and sell me ads. So that's why I like the New York Times. So those two newsletters are incredible on a daily basis if you want to learn what's going on in the world. If you want to learn books are the way to go so i made a list of my favorites to learn about investing the ones that have helped me the most Perfect. so i mentioned i will teach you to be rich which is lifestyle and remember i said pick and choose what you take from each book like these are ideas and concepts not everything applies to everybody but the idea is you can mold something that works for you. And then there's Profit First, which is a business book. 
but the idea works in a personal basis as well, which is pay yourself first. Whenever you get money, take out your profit first and have a system where, okay, if I have $100 for entertainment, send it to an account where you only have the $100. Don't have all your money in the same spot because you're going to overspend. Just take profit out. I have to pay this bills, this are for bills to an account. This is entertainment, another account, and just separate your money. That's the whole thesis of that book, but it's mostly for, for business. Like what are your business costs, taxes, whatever, but the concept works perfectly well for, for personal finance, uh, for investing value investing the intelligent investor, which is Warren Buffett's Bible. It was written by his teacher and it's, but that one is a te very technical book. So yep. be sure to know what your a concept on, on finance before getting that book. Cause that's a lot of uh, actually making the, getting the numbers and actually doing the work of how to understand what the numbers mean. So it's a very technical book. And of course, Snowball, Warren Buffett's life. It's, it's his biography, but it gives you a background on the guy. Like, I love the book. I've read it three times. It's great. It's not much of learning how to invest, but it, it, it works. I love biographies because they take me behind the mind that did this. So for example, I can understand a lot more Apple's success because I understand Steve Jobs by reading his bio. And I understand the idea behind the brand and what and that because I understand the founder's uh, mentality when, when he decided things were gonna go that way. And podcasts, there's uh, one in particular, which is he has uh, three episodes a week and it's 10 minutes each. It's called Founders Journal. He's the founder of Morning Brew. And he just has, uh, he talks about his day-to-day -day in running a business. What things he learns on a day-to-day -day bit by running a business. So it's 10 minutes fast. And yeah, great content. And of course, Wisdomatics podcast is also one of my favorites now that it's launching it's definitely going on my list i appreciate that man and uh, yeah i think all the books that you mentioned i have only read uh, one of them which is the snowball effect i have not read the other ones just because i understand that as you listed it to learn about investing number one books and biographies number two world news but Number three, and the last action is actually doing it. But I think to take that third step, you have to first learn about the people behind those investments, the people, what it took, it what it took them to get there to where they are today, where they have a level of success that ninety nine percent of people alive dream of, and only the one percent achieves. But 
I think that you put it in a in a very easy to follow way, and obviously the recommendations you give of books are definitely even if you have not read them, you know those are books that teach you the fundamentals and they put investing in a very practical way and easy to to apply. And uh, Harry, the last topic, you know, one that we and a lot of our listeners would probably share like is aside of making money, making profits, you know, investments, finance, startups is sports. And as followers of mainly mainly the sport of soccer, we know that this uh, sports run in a professional manner and going from the amateur to the pro, say having like U9, U10, U11, you know, a whole academy of players and staff that run a yearly operation, which are, you know, the Real Madrid's, the Barcelona's, the Manchester City's, Liverpool, and these businesses, if they don't make money, they'll make a profit, then they run into some deep financial issues. And yeah. I mean, if you look at the last couple of years, I mean, uh, COVID actually made this worse, but you see it coming. Like, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, Liverpool started being run as a company, not like the owners actually that are changing everything. It's weird, but American owners are changing European soccer because they come in and they buy Manchester City, Manchester United, they buy Liverpool and they start running Liverpool as a company. They hire a coach that's a business-minded coach, Jurgen Klopp. He runs a, a ship like a company and his, their focus is, yes, we need to work hard. We need to play hard, but we need to make money. This is a business. Uh, Manchester City, yes, the Saudis came in, but the club, but after they bought it, they did spend a lot of money on it, but it was always on a business mentality. They have clubs around the world in different countries as part of a soccer group. And now they don't, they not only have an academy, they have clubs in different levels of the sport where they move players around but their brand is one unified big brand where they are making money as a global company generating cash flow yeah barcelona is run as a club not a company and the president was chosen by members the guy spent a lot of money made bad choices of course you're not spending your money so who cares exactly and your money when when the money stopped coming in because of covid everything blew up because the the club is in one billion dollars in debt with a b yeah. for a sports club the b club Oof. of debt and, and Barcelona's situation is worse because they had to sign a player this year, namely Messi. But the situation is the same, or sort of the same, for Real Madrid, which hasn't sound, 
doesn't sound much because they did not have to spend the money this year. Because if you see, Barcelona could have asked for a new loan and signed Messi. Definitely. But the rules say you can't spend more than you make. Financial fair play rules. So they got stuck behind the rule. They could have just, okay, we owe a billion. Who cares? Let's just give me another billion. I'll pay Messi. And because they are Barcelona, somebody would have lent them the money. On the other hand, the clubs in, in England are buying players because they're being run as companies and they have cash flow. And when things got tight, there wasn't this uh, payroll that was just in, immense. Like Barcelona's payroll last year, or let's go to 2019, last full year with full income. Just payroll was 110% of income. Oof. And that's soccer payroll. 110% of club income. That's not including hockey team, basketball team, indoor soccer team, handball team, women's team. Just the, the main team's payroll was 110% of the total club's income. If you do that as a business, that's not sustainable. You're losing too much money. Losing too so much. We're using sports as a, as a metaphor because our like your listeners like sports. We like sports. But it's the same concept. You need to make money. And I like to bring in a PSG. PSG is being run as a company, but differently. If you see Manchester City, Liverpool, they're businesses. They're the business of soccer. PSG is a lifestyle brand. They're partnering with brands, with like yeah. fashion brands. They're wear, they're actually wearing a Michael Jordan brand, like Air Jordan brand uniforms instead of Nike. Like their concept of business is different. The soccer team is not the business. The business is the brand. The soccer team is the marketing. But they're still making yep. money. Yeah, it's a very, very different investment types we could say by these middle uh, middle eastern groups that are investing money into teams in the biggest leagues of the world you should look at newcastle as well you know one of the most traditional clubs in england being bought by a saudi arabian group it uh it really you know and they're spending a lot of money and, and what i like is that they're they're saying that they're not looking to spend a lot of money at first, but they're looking to invest into improving their youth academies into investing their development program. So who knows, maybe they do. Yeah. They probably buy a couple of stars and better coach, you know, they make some, some short term. Yeah. But it needs to, it needs to be structured in a way where it makes sense long-term. Yes, and by investing in the, the youth academies, which is what Manchester City did, they rebuild their 
their their youth academy fields and their schools and just everything from A to C into the into the youth development. And now you can see a lot of those young players coming up and actually being playing for England, being sold to other clubs, and you can see the long term investment. But but yeah, Harry, it has definitely been a pleasure to talk about business and more than anything grateful of hearing your your thank wisdom. you thank you for having me here your wisdom yeah man a pleasure the lessons you've learned along the years with you're only 30 30 short uh right 32 exactly so being relatively young just hearing this from from someone like you is pretty tangible advice because it's easy to, to relate it's not like you've been part of the get rich quick scheme or, you know, you, no, you, definitely not. you got lucky. Like you've been adapting your life and your growth around it, your self-development journey, you know, in a more emotional factor. And I truly recommend people to follow you, to follow your social media, your, your podcast, which it's in Spanish, but now you're going to start making content in English. Yeah. All right. Our social media, you can follow me at, at Tyree Heinsen on all, all platforms. Uh, for my, if you want to sign up for my newsletter, it's at heinsenglobal.com. The newsletter, just the top of the website says newsletter. And the newsletter is called From the Desk of Harry Heinsen. And the podcast, as you said, it's re being rebranded, not the name, but the concept. It was a Spanish uh, newsletter. We're going to launch probably by next month in Spanglish, basically trying to get a bigger audience. Uh, and we're also launching uh, next month a new course, which will be starting in probably March. It's a 14-week course uh, called Business Blueprint Bootcamp. So it's a 14-week course. It's six classes in 14 weeks uh, where we talk about everything in starting or organizing your business from A to C, everything you need to organize your business. So we'll be launching that in uh, probably next month. So keep in touch. And... Of course, I'll let you know because your listeners will get a, a special uh, surprise and discount on the, on the course. Definitely. Definitely. We uh, officially receive a first sponsorship for the podcast. I like that. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm sure that it is something I will personally do because I prefer investing back investing my educational budget into programs like yours because I know that I have learned a lot already just by talking with you all the other words we've talked about sports and business off the off the microphone off the podcast so definitely hope that we'll be receiving you again here and just happy to, to watch Pleasure. you grow and watch your business um, I know that in the future, you're going to keep learning more. You're going to keep growing more. And it's just 
more wisdom that you'll have to keep passing down and we are happy to always be a channel for that harry so thank you very much again and we'll keep we'll keep in touch thank you Thank you.